Hello. Welcome to another VW podcast. This is Office Hours, our Preparing for Funding series. I'm Kevin. With me today is Radney. Hey, Radney. Hey, Kev. Kev, happy birthday. Well, appreciate that. Thank you. You know, Radney, I generally don't want to talk about my age, except I feel like it might give some sense of credibility. I think that's right. right. <laughs> At some point in time, you're old enough, people might think, well, maybe, you know, a little bit something. Let's see what we know about pitch decks. This is our fourth installment of Preparing for Funding Recut. We're redoing this after five years. Uh, Rad and I both have venture practices as primarily what we do is we practice venture capital law. We generally represent companies, though we do represent some investors, right, Radney? Some high net worth individuals, some mm -hmm. funds, things like that. But we're usually looking at these things from a company perspective. And the purpose of today's podcast is to talk about pitch decks. So, Rad, I think everyone knows what that means. But when I say pitch deck, what do you think? There's a lot of things that come to mind. A lot of jokes that come to mind, too, honestly, when I think about it. You know, everyone thinks about, I think when they first think about pitch decks, they think about some of the iconic ones out there. And there's plenty floating around online, right? Like the Airbnb pitch deck or the Facebook pitch deck or all these unicorns. And this is what they did. And when you're a young entrepreneur, it's real easy to Google them, find them, and then try to like just recreate that exact thing. I was like, if there's magic there or something, right? So it is this story of the company done in a very specific manner. And I think that's what we'll get in today, that there is kind of a, a playbook for it. But I think oftentimes... It's interesting, Kevin, I'm going to say a contradiction here. Oftentimes, too much value is put into pitch decks and too little value is put into pitch decks. And what I mean by that is people think that they're going to draft this beautiful, great pitch deck and they're going to give it, send to an investor and that person's immediately going to be like, you know what, how much? I can't wait to get it. That's right. not happening. But then I also think not enough time is put in them because so many people come to us over the years and say, hey, so do you have somebody that will like do the deck for me? And you and I so many times are saying, maybe the greatest benefit of putting together the pitch deck is it helps you learn about your business, right? It really synthesizes your understanding of what you're building. And you're going to probably change, especially in early stage companies, change of some of what you're building and how you're building it based on the time and effort you put into like synthesizing your entire company down into 15 slides. Man, I love that word, that synthesized word. I couldn't agree more, right? We have this real estate client when we were doing a lot more real estate work back in the day. And he always used to say, the product is the process. Mm. The product is the process. This was a big real estate development company from overseas. This manager, this guy who ran it here in the US out of the Dallas area, he was so meticulous about the process, who they hired, how did they hire that person? Once they hired them, what was the onboarding process look like? When they selected a site, how did they go about that site selection? Which notes did they use? Which architects or engineers did they hire? And the process was the product. And I love that. And I love that. And I think the point you're making about pitch decks is spot on. In summary, a pitch deck is a synopsis of your business distilled down to 15 slides at the max that you can present to people to introduce them to your business and hopefully get them excited about whatever it is you want them to do, most likely invest, maybe partner or sell the business, whatever. But usually for our purposes, we're talking about pitch decks used for investment purposes. But the process of creating the pitch deck, that's where the magic is. You know, you said people look for magic and they do, right? I mean, people ask all the time and I send them those links. They have the Airbnb one and the Netflix pitch deck. Well, the thing is, those are just great companies. I mean, I think mm -hmm. great companies are going to make great pitch decks, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want to are hoping that a great pitch deck will make a great company. And that's not necessarily the case. Now, a great pitch deck can probably mask a lot about a not so great company. 
And if you can't get your pitch deck down to 15, maybe even 10 slides, like if you said my target's 10, and if you went over by a couple, that's okay. But if you get it down to 10, that process of synthesizing it and combining information and only pointing out the most material or most important or most relevant information, that's truly where the value is. And in doing all of that, you're going to create a great pitch deck. I can understand how people might sometimes might need help visually. I get that. But the rest of it, Rad's right. You should not have other people creating your pitch deck. Like They're just not going to understand your business as well as you do. So pitch decks are an introduction to your company. And Rad, as I was preparing for this podcast, I went back and listened to the one that we did five years ago when I did it with Aaron and just trying to look for similarities and differences. And one of the reasons why I want to recut this is to just talk about where trends are going. And one thing that was interesting is in that episode from five, maybe six years ago, I can't remember, we talked about using PowerPoint as your pitch deck. And I think maybe some pitch decks are created in PowerPoint these days, maybe at least by old people. Like people whose birthdays are mine or later, right? But I don't know. I mean, what are you seeing these days for formats of pitch decks? Yeah, I agree. It used to be that we got all these PowerPoints and open them up on your email. Now you just get a link to some software as a service. Usually, I I think DocSend's like the big one. And then it's kind of slick, right? You know, you have to put your email address in and then Kevin gets a email and his email saying, hey, Radwood at Mm -hmm. com just opened your pitch deck. And they have good services. I mean, you can put together a pretty slick looking deck through Docsend and some of these others. So for me, it's pretty much exclusively that way now is how I see them. It might have started as a PowerPoint, but now it's a PDF, right? Yeah. Because they've saved it. That's just an easier way. It's also an easier way of looking at things on your phone. Like if you have a PowerPoint and people are pulling it up on their phone or on their tablet, Apple's going to render it in a certain way, right? They're going to translate a certain way. It's not going to have everything. Your page numbers might be off. Your footers might look off. Things like that. So it's better to put it into a PDF or use one of those online services. And then Rad, like you mentioned, for tracking purposes, can be very, very helpful. Or if you have a lot of really secure information in there, it's really easy to put online and put a password on it, which I think is a good idea. So most of the decks we get these days are in a PDF format or an online format. You know what I hate, Rad, is when people send you the 30 gig attachment, right, man? Yeah. Because our email servers can handle it, but then they're always asking me to forward it on to someone. And a lot of people's can't. And then you got to take the bounce back message and then you got to tell them to put it in Dropbox or something like. Which this all goes against like the very purpose of a pitch deck, right? To make it a simple, easy, nice, catchy way of like describing your company instead of being this, how do I download it? It's that's too big. Let's focus on what you just said there. Easy and nice. You want your pitch deck to be low friction for the reader. Do not give the reader any reason to say no. And if you're sending it to a VC that's seeing a handful or a dozen of these a day, right, or dozens or hundreds per week, if they can't open your link, or if it's not rendering quickly on their phone, that's a good reason to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So make the thing as low friction as possible. And that means in an easy format, if you have to include some heavy media in it, then find a way to put it online so they can click on it and watch it online. But let's kind of work backwards. Let's talk about having too long of a pitch deck. So what do you think, Rad, when someone sends you a 30-page pitch deck and it's got every single detail in there and it's got full analysis on four different competitors and things like that? I mean, I don't think of myself as someone who has ADHD and has a problem with attention. But when I see a 30-page pitch deck, I have anxiety. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think I'm not going to make it to the end of this. Like, where are we going with this? You know, like, and I think obviously as the lawyer, we're not looking at it through the lens of an investor, but that's where my mind goes thinking, man, 
okay, I got to go back to this client and let them know, like, you need to distill this down further. And then I know that I, we usually say this all the time, Kev, you know what? We'll take a look at your pitch deck for free. Right. Don't mind. Right. And the next, you know, I'm like an hour and a half into this and I'm like dying as I'm like, well, this slide to get rid of, this is actually a great slide. It's just four slides off. Just move it forward here. And then you give them all this great value, which is, we're happy to do it. But when you see those slides, like, oh, this isn't just a touching up on the little bits here and there. This is like a redoing of it. Let's set some targets here. Let's get it to 10 slides. Yeah. Any other slide that you have to keep, put it in your internal version and call it an appendix. Mm-hmm. And then we'll send out the appendix from time to time. I think it's a Hemingway quote that the only writing is rewriting. And I think you want to think about that the same way with your pitch decks. Like you're constantly redoing them to get them down to a good format, a good size, make it nice and easy for your reader. But also, if you have too much information in there, then you're going to give the investor an opportunity to say no. Like just wet their appetite. Right. You ever forward a client pitch deck on to an investor and the investor says, I love it. Where do I send my money? <laughs> I'm still waiting for that right. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's never going to happen. So you want the investor to say, interesting. I'd like to learn more. That's what you're looking for here. And we'll talk about how to approach investors in a sec, but your pitch deck should be something that's a little bit more than just a brief intro, right? A little bit more than a cover letter, but just enough to let the investor understand what your industry is, what problem you're solving, how you're going to solve it, who your team is and then look for next steps. So let's talk about getting pitch decks out to investors. So we covered one way, Rad, which is people send them to us, and then they ask for introductions there. Which, what's your When a client says, hey, Rad, here's my pitch deck, send it out to investors. What are you doing with that? Most of the time I push back a bit. I say, look, I'm happy to send it to a few key people that I think might make sense here. And maybe let's hop on a call and talk a little bit more in depth about what you're looking for and the stage you're in and all those things. But oftentimes I try to tell people, I say, look, it's not me who needs to develop the relationship here. It's you. And so the deck is your first salvo, right? You said it earlier, Kev, it's that eye catcher. It's the way into the door. But if that's just coming from an attorney that's sending these things all the time, it's going to lose a lot of value, right? Like the real value here is to say, okay, here's some good folks. You know what? Instead, here's a few people that I think make sense. Let them know I represent you, Mm -hmm. but you should send this to them directly with a nice email and introduction. And those 10 slides, you're hoping are going to catch their attention and get you in the door and then try to set a call up, right? But it really comes down to just there's this old narrative. It's like when you're fundraising, you're not raising money, you're raising friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so true. You need to go out there and talk to as many people as possible and make as many friends as possible. And that's when you'll be successful. And it's a numbers game. And so the deck isn't just, hey, Kevin Vela, Radwood, go send these things out. It's more like, hey, do you have people that I can talk to right. that you think makes sense? And I'm the one that's going to be sending this out. I'm trying to do more of that, which is I'm not going to send the deck out. But I know these three investors who might be interested. So give me a snippet to send them. And I'll say, hey, do you want to learn more? Hey, investor, we represent XYZ B2B SaaS company. Here's what they're doing. They pay their bills on time, so I like them. Do you want to talk to them? And I think that's a better way of doing it than trying to shuffle the pitch deck back and forth. Because just forwarding a pitch deck is such a sterile action, right? Mm -hmm. There's no emotion behind it, especially coming from us. I mean, it's hard for us. It's hard enough. Like you said, we're not charging for this, right? So it's hard for us to find time to write some sort of warm introduction and warm up the investor. Who knows what situation they're in? And there's stats out there that'll tell you you're better off sending this thing like on a Monday or a Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. Versus like a Friday afternoon or a Sunday night. So you're in control of that. But I do think we can provide some value in just saying, hey, maybe I can make a warm introduction. But let's talk about finding these introductions. 
when a client asks, tells you, I don't know anyone, right? I just moved here from Seattle. I don't know anyone. How am I supposed to find investors? How do you handle that? I say, look, the internet is full of resources. You're in right. Austin, Texas, or Dallas. There's multiple events you can go to. You need to be out there in the community, mm-hmm. right? Be out there in the community that way. And then also, if you can't find these investors yourself and start getting your own list, you're not being very resourceful. Why am I going to trust you as a founder of a company that's going to have to overcome significantly higher hurdles and burdens than coming up with a list of five to 10 people you should reach out to? So it's not very compelling. There's so much information online now. You should be able to find those people, start reaching out, and then come to your attorney, come to your CPA, come to people that have connects and say, hey, I've thought about these people. What do you think? Do you have any connections there? And then it's like, hey, there's I'm thinking about this VC. And we say, yeah, we've worked with them before. Let me put you on an email with so-and-so, and then you can send the deck and do all the rest. We can help make those intros warm. We can help smooth them a little bit. We can even give you some other ideas to look, other places, other investor types. But man, it's just another example of like the resourcefulness of the individual and the resiliency of that particular startup. Man, you hit the nail on the head there. It's the resourcefulness. This is a must-have trait for any founder. I don't know any successful founders who aren't resourceful. And if you're a founder and you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, that's not me, we'll become resourceful because I don't think it's hard to do. And sure, some people are better than others, but the internet's out there, like Brad said, and figure out ways to find connections. If you're going to be counting on your attorney or your accountant or your advisors to make every investor introduction for you, then how are you going to find customers? How are you going to find employees? How are you going to find other service providers? Like, How are you going to find anything? Right? You got to get out there and do it. So I think Brad has some great ideas. We'll just use our hypothetical founder. I'm new to Dallas and I don't know anyone. Okay. Well, I met my attorney. Kevin, what should I do? Well, you should check out this email list. And they publish a bunch of startup events. You should start hanging out at those. And there's a couple of local angel networks. And I would reach out to them and say, hey, how do I get into pitching for these guys? And then check out the universities, right? Every university. SMU, UT, every big university, TCU, is going to have some sort of investor or startup event. Go to those things. Just start rubbing elbows. I tell people when they move here, Rodney, when experienced founders or experienced people in the venture community move from a big city to Dallas, they say, hey, who do I need to connect with? And I give them some ideas, go to these events, get on these newsletters. I say, within three to six months, you're going to know about 80% of the ecosystem. Because it's still pretty small, they interact pretty frequently. And so within a short period of time, you can figure it out. And so if you're a founder looking for capital, I think if you do those sorts of things, and like Brad said, we're willing to point you in the right direction, but you can't count on your attorney to raise the money. You really can't count on your board members, your advisors to raise the money for you. But we can point you in the right direction. I think you can figure it out pretty quickly. Okay, let's talk about the appropriate structure of a pitch deck. Okay. We've talked between 10 and 15 slides. So let's think about how you might build this out. And I think we, there's some resources on our website for this, and we'll post the links to it. And there's plenty of them out there. But most pitch decks follow the same format. You're going to have your title slide. Oh, and by the way, if you're not good at design, just start with all white with just black text on it. You might end up just using that because those have been very powerful. But you can always go from there. You can always find a design firm to pretty it up for you. But you're going to have an intro slide then almost always you start with the problem. Every once in a while, you'll have people who put their next slide as the team slide. What do you like that, right? You like that when they say, well, look, here's the name of our company. Here's our team. I mean, if the founder is Mark Zuckerberg or something, right. maybe it makes sense. That, that's a good place. Yeah. it goes in the back, you know? Yeah, it's got to go in the back. I mean, if 
you got to get people with the product, right? And then the team is going to close the deal for you, but it's not going to open the door. So it needs to be, here's the problem. Here's how we're going to solve it. Then usually, then you'll talk about market, how big the market is, and you need to get familiar with total addressable market and serviceable addressable market. Those numbers will be important. And then from there, you're going to go into your revenue model, competition, and then any details. And then you'll probably usually end with your team slide. And then the last one that says, any questions? That's always with a question mark, right? In some kind of whimsical font or something like that. What do you think, Rad, about putting capital raise information inside the pitch deck? I don't love it. But again, it really depends on the situation, right? I think you, you alluded to it before, Kev's. The deck has different lives almost, right? You have a deck for sending out to potential investors that are in an angel network. You have one that might be geared towards a specific VC fund that's in a specific industry you're trying to be in, right? You have one that's for a pitch competition that you're in. And so it really depends. You know, If you're going to put that language in there that you actually reference a raise that you're doing, you better have some good disclaimer language in there that you're not right. actually soliciting. And obviously with 506C, and if you really are raising under that, then that maybe opens it up to you being able to just throw it all in there and not really care anymore. But if you're going to rely on 506B or 4A2 as a naked offering, then you don't want to be doing that, right? You got to be a little bit more careful. I think it's okay to put general information in there. We're raising $2 million at a $10 million valuation, but that's about it. You don't really want to get into details because we don't want this to be construed as an actual offering. Just to be safe, you know, the laws are the law. We might not ag- agree with them and I do think they're being relaxed a little bit. They're making it easier to raise capital, but still, there's a lot of securities concerns here. Raz, we're talking about some federal exemptions, and then some of those would spill into state exemptions, or there's other state exemptions. But you got to be careful about that. So sometimes you'll see people who put very detailed pitch information or offering information inside the pitch deck. Not a great idea. Also, if someone likes your deck and then they follow up with you to ask information about the offering, this is a good thing, right? We want to get to yes. I mean, for any of you listening out there who have had sales experience or sales training experience, you want to get your customer, your investor, just saying yes. Okay, yes, I'd like to learn more information. Yes, I'm interested. Yes, I'd like to see what the offering terms are. So if you're going to put pitch information, I prefer not to just say contact us or let's talk. But if you're going to, then just make it pretty generic. And then, Rad, I want to make one more point about pitch decks, which is something that you've already alluded to, but you should have multiple versions on hand, Right. So for instance, people reach out to me all the time and say, hey, can you get us in front of Mark Cuban? We do a little bit of work on the other side of Cuban just because he's so active in Dallas. His team gets emails from us all the time. But no, I can't get you in front of Mark Cuban. You can get yourself in front of Mark Cuban. He always responds to emails. I'm sure you can find it out there. But you don't want to send Mark Cuban your 15-page pitch deck. There's 0% chance that he's looking through that. On the other hand, if you have a B2B security startup, and you've already raised your Series C round, and now you're raising your Series A round, and you know that there's a fund out there that does B2B security, and they just invested into a competitor of yours or into something very similar to your company, they might be more appropriate to send one. You don't need to really explain the problem to them. You can have a little more detail in that one. So that's why it's good to have a pitch deck and then have your appendix ready that you can just fill in slides, depending on who you're sending it to. Or if Cuban says responds to your email and says, sure, I'm interested. Send me something short. Then you need to have a three to five page deck that he can just flip through on his phone in between Mavs games when he's not yelling at the refs, right? You can just flip through it and then respond back if he wants to see something in greater detail. So 
try to build that 10 to 15 slide deck, but know you're going to need multiple versions of it. And it's okay. And these should be living, breathing items that you're constantly updating from round to round, or even in the middle of raises, as you get more information, as you get more feedback from your potential investors. So that wraps up what I want to discuss about pitch decks. Rad, you got any parting thoughts? Just one. We talked about it briefly, or I guess we even more like mentioned it or danced around it. The pitch deck, you do want it to be pretty. And if you don't have that skill set, you can have someone pretty it up. But part of that prettiness is like, it shouldn't be two paragraphs on any page, right? That's part of the work. You need to learn how to describe and go into detail about what you're building in short bits and then find demonstratives, right? Visual charts, things like that, that also tell the same story. Again, this is showing resourcefulness. It's showing the ability to like think through deep thoughts and ideas and bring them into unique ways that can really communicate. These are all great talents that you're going to need to develop as an entrepreneur. But that's the thing. They're all developable talents. No one has this naturally, right? You can learn to be a better communicator. You can learn to articulate these things. You can learn to distill it down to a sense or two, but don't have too many words on there, right? Like push yourself a little bit. To your point, the only writing is rewriting. Yeah. So if you could say what you want to say over four slides in one slide, or you can use a combination of visuals and signs and to kind of roadmap your reader there, then that becomes very powerful. Not again, not just from the perspective of it's easier to see, it's easier to ingest, but from the perspective of look how well you understand your company. It's really distilled down or simplified, right? In a concise manner, what I'm trying to say here. Totally. So good one, Rad. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. That'll do it for us here. This is episode four of our Office Hours Preparing for Funding series. Today, we were talking about pitch decks. As always, you can find show notes for this episode with timestamps and links to references and resources from our website. This would be at velawood.com forward slash podcasts. You can also find several other podcasts you may be interested in, including our newest podcast, Laws of the Game, which is all about the history, operation, and organization of soccer worldwide. This Office Hours podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love it if you subscribe and leave us a rating and review. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast@bellawood.com. Thanks for listening. See you guys. The Vela Wood podcasts are recorded with the help of Radio MD, based in Chicago, Illinois. You can find all of our podcasts on our website at velawood.com slash podcasts. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at velawood.com.